Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Ahmed Gaber. He's the CEO of WellHealth. Ahmed, welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. Nice, nice to be on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing through, well, all the stuff that we're going to talk about today is very much needed, very innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into all that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. Yeah, I was uh, I was actually born in Egypt. Uh, my parents oh, very cool. Yeah, and uh, we we moved to California, um, and then from there, my dad's job took us over to Europe. So I actually spent a lot of my childhood in the UK. Oh, and interesting. And um, back to the United States, and I currently live in Texas. Very cool. So you went to university. What did you take, and why? I studied biology as as an undergrad degree. Um, my plan was to potentially go to medical school. Um, I actually finished my biology degree. I took my MCAT. I I, I did I did pretty well. Um, one of the things that uh, I did do though is I graduated college early, um, a year early, wow. and cool. because I was off cycle for for med school applications. Um, I essentially had a year that was that was open, and the university that I went to had just launched a uh, a dual program where folks that had uh, science or technical undergrads could also get an accelerated MBA. And so I did that. It was a really good time, really good opportunity for for me to kind of fill that one year void. Um, and I I remember. I think it was probably one of the first classes, first lectures during that MBA, we had uh, a senior executive come from a biotech company and they said, um, you know, one of the biggest things that we don't have as a biotech company, and I think in the industry are folks that have deep science backgrounds and uh, business degrees. And I thought that was super interesting. Um, and I started applying while I was, while I was doing my MBA, because most of it was actually um, uh, at, at night, even though it was an in-person MBA, um, I started applying to jobs at healthcare companies, and I actually got a job at a at a at a healthcare technology and kind of services company uh, in Texas. Okay. And um, I was still planning on going to medical school, even though I was there. I was, you know, for me, I was trying to fill that one year and, and gain as much experience as possible to to essentially make make me a, a better physician. Um, the company that I worked for, the CEO of the company at the time was actually one of the co-founders of WebMD. And I- Oh, interesting. Yeah, and, and he was a physician. Um, and so I asked to sit down with him and, and get some advice on kind of career outlook. And so, you know, it wasn't a small company, it was probably several thousand people that worked there. So it wasn't, if I told him, hey, I don't plan to work here for the long term, I don't think he would have, you know, lost, lost any sleep over it. So I had a very frank conversation with him. And what he told me was, um, by the time that you're gonna be done with medical school and your residency and your specialization, medicine in the United States is gonna look very different. 
going to look very, very, very different. And this was, you know, 15, 16 years ago. And, wow. and he said, um, so either you need to make a decision. You either need to, if you love medicine because you love interacting with each individual patient and that's what's going to get you out of bed every morning, then by all means continue to go down that path. But if you love healthcare and you love medicine as part of kind of healthcare as an overall industry, then there are other paths for you. And it was kind of at that moment that I chose that other path. Interesting. And that's great that you got advice from somebody that's been on both sides of the fence, right? Like he was obviously a doctor and kind of doing a startup and, and still in healthcare, but just not directly dealing with patients on a day-to-day -day basis, or at least for periods of time. Yeah, it was, it was invaluable. I mean, actually he was a fascinating guy. Um, he, 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 continues to be an emergency room doc and at the oh, time CEO of a pretty large company that company sold for two billion dollars maybe like two 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 years later after that conversation uh, he still practiced and he lived in San Francisco and the company was based out of Texas and he was traveling all the time he still saw patients um, you know wow. a couple couple of days a month because he wanted to maintain um, his licensure and for him he loved doing both, even though it was very challenging to do both, but he made it super, super clear. We had a very long conversation. It was actually, I still remember it to this day because I thought I was going to, you know, sit in this guy's office for 10 minutes. We had about a two hour conversation. Wow. Kind of clear. Yeah, it was, it was probably the, you know, the, the most um, insightful, most critical conversation that I've had about my career ever. It was that, that one conversation. No, that's, that's very cool. So walk us through the rest of your journey in becoming CEO of Well Health, and, and let's dive into that. So I left that company and went into strategy consulting. Um, I worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers for about eight years. Um, I focused on the healthcare vertical, and then within the healthcare vertical, um, I kind of split my career at PwC. So one was um, where we would support clients and clients were payers and providers and pharma, life science companies um, from a strategy and operations perspective. So I got a lot of very deep experience on um, the, you know, how, how to execute strategy when you are trying to deliver very large scale transformative operations, which I thought was ex extremely valuable. And I, and I learned, I learned a ton. Um, and it really helped understand kind of the interplay between how all of the components of U.S. healthcare actually work. And then the other component of time that I spent at PwC was focused on deals strategy. So we would architect deals, um, whether they were, you know, full full acquisitions, um, mergers and acquisitions, different types of joint ventures. Uh, and there's been an unbelievable amount of that in, in U.S. healthcare over the past 10 years. Um, and so we would help folks figure out what is the strategy that, that would make most sense for your organization or your company and what kind of a deal helps make that a reality. And then we would help them execute the deal as well. So that time at PwC was, was, was a huge learning opportunity for me. Um, and then from there, I was uh, headhunted out to be the head of strategy for uh, a company called Premier, 
okay. which is a healthcare premier premier calls themselves a healthcare transformation company. Premier's a, a very, their scope of services are very wide, um, but they focus on clinical supply chain improvement, um, technology development, consultative services, um, mainly for uh, providers. So hospital systems, um, alternative care sites, things like that. And then I left Premier and started okay. uh, Well Health. Okay, so what made you decide to start it, and what exactly is it? So there's there's been such a monumental set of shifts in the United States. I mean, globally as well, but we're seeing a lot of it actually happen in the United States too, um, by virtue of the kind of uh, healthcare system that we operate in the United States, different than countries like the UK and others. Um, and as part of these shifts and these transformations, a lot of things have um, a lot of opportunities, a lot of a lot of new models of doing things, whether it's new models of delivering care, whether it's better ways to pay for the care, you have, you know, new new uh, models of, of healthcare payers that have that have evolved and, and been created over the past 10 to 15, 20 years. Um, there's a massive focus on uh, care improvement, cost reduction, making sure that care is more accessible. Even coming out of the pandemic, there's a massive trend around uh, care equity. And what can we do to make sure that healthcare is, is more universally accessible and more equitably delivered? So in that time period, I mean, you know, even even before I was head of strategy for Premier and, and, and the work that I was doing at PwC, a lot of these strategies were being developed um, over all of those years. And one unique strategy that I that I really liked and um, just continued to be a very keen component um, of where where I thought there was an opportunity for me to do something. Uh, was around delivering a hybrid model of physical in-person primary care, um, as well as uh, a, a being able to utilize this kind of unending growth of digital health capabilities that just does not stop at this point. There are companies that start every day that are that are digitally oriented um, to deliver better, more accessible. Um, more more valuable uh, healthcare, and not have to worry about the physical component of of that care delivery. Um, primary care is for a long time. Primary care was really neglected in the United States. Um, we went through you know eras of primary care where people had a people actually had a primary care doctor. It was a local physician. And there was a relationship with that physician, and many times that that physician um, had relationships with your family too. And so um, we moved far away from that over the years. And primary care was very neglected, although primary care is absolutely critical. We focused more on the problem when it became a problem, rather than focusing on primary care and trying to maintain health over a long period of time. And I think that's one of the one of the drivers of key shifts that have occurred overall in the health system uh, in the United States, um, but primary care was was highly neglected, and it and it caused it caused all the issues that that we hear about today. Um, care is um, 
uh, is siloed and it's expensive and it's not consistent and the experiences aren't even that good and people um, don't have that primary care support structure that kind of encourages better long-term health through long-term engagement. Interesting. No, I, I think, yeah, it, it is a huge problem um, in the States and, and I'm actually Canadian and, and um, I'm up in Canada right now. And like, we have more of a kind of universal healthcare system than you guys do. And it, it's interesting, just the similarities and differences. There's more differences than similarities. And it's interesting how there's two different approaches between the two countries, right? When it comes to healthcare. Yeah. Yep. Totally. And there's, there's pros and cons of each model. Sure. Um, but it is, I think it is important to note that most healthcare models for developed nations look more like Canada than the United States. So there's something to be said about that. Um, but there are definitely pros and cons to each. I think over time, um, the United States healthcare model is, is probably not going to be completely um, a public health system. It's not going to be right. publicly run in, in its entirety, but we're going to see more and more components of, of the overall uh, nationwide healthcare system uh, take more of the uh, you know, components that may exist in you know, the Canadian model, for example. And, sure. and these, these things, these things are occurring, especially as we come out of, hopefully, hopefully I say we come out of the pandemic. Um, yes. it, <laughs> it does look like we are turning some corners here. So um, hopefully we continue to do that. But um, we, we've seen a lot of things that have come, stemmed from the pandemic that show the, the importance of delivering um, a very consistent level of healthcare for 100% of the population. Uh, and, yeah. and that has accelerated conversations that I think pre-pandemic people were debating a little bit more than they are now. And so sure. there's a little bit of a larger appetite around what, what those capabilities and what those models um, could be and, and why they are actually important. And it's going to permeate into public policy for sure that the pandemic is such a transformative period that it will certainly uh, permeate into public policy and there will be less um, less debate, I think, on some of these things that, that potentially existed pre-pandemic. No, that's fair. Um, so you guys built a tool, well, a couple of tools. Um, one to actually help people schedule a vaccine. I know a lot of people have gotten the vaccine. There's still a large percentage of the population that hasn't. So do you want to talk about your tool for actually booking a vaccine? And then the other tool that you built that now I have a vaccine, how do I get a verification card to say I actually got the vaccine? So hopefully I could travel and life gets back to somewhat of a new normal. Yeah, yeah, totally. So when COVID hit, um, you know, well health operates brick and mortar primary care that is digitally enabled. Um, right. We had we had a lot of patients. Uh, this is this and 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 the pandemic kind of arrived on the shores of the United States um, at the tail end of 2020s uh, or 20, 2019 2020 flu and cold season. And so you know as we know now, a lot of those symptoms are are pretty similar. 
but early on, when when people were watching the news or or, or, or reading things in the newspaper, um, people had the cold and the flu, and they were really worried that they had COVID, and they had absolutely no idea how um, what to do at that point. And so we started getting overrun by our own patients that said, you know, I have so such and such symptoms. Do I have COVID? That was essentially the question over and over and over again. And early on, you know, we our clinicians didn't know a whole lot about COVID either. Um, and so the only thing that we could have potentially done was, well, let's do what we would typically do. There are diagnostics for this. Let's test you. And, and, and that, that will help us figure out what the next step needs to be. So we started doing testing um, and it, the, the scale of it started to exceed what our um, testing platform could accommodate and what our technology solutions could accommodate. Um, we're not a technology first company where, you know, well health is, is, is more of a technology second company. So we, we do the hard work of trying to figure out how to implement um, technology. And in some instances we build our own as well. Um, but we do the hard work of trying to implement other, other folks' technology uh, into, a, into a better overall experience for our patients. At that point, we knew that we needed something much more substantial. Um, it just so happens that my brother runs a, a, a healthcare technology company. And so I called him and I said, this is, this is becoming really, really, this is, this is going to become really, really large, really, really fast. And we need to do it better because people are absolutely freaked out and um, we, ha we have to do something. So two things happened at that moment. One, we started working with more regional labs um, that were able to turn around results much faster than some of the national labs who were completely getting overrun. So that was one of the first things. And then we, we, built, we built a, a front-facing and back-end uh, uh, back infrastructure that allowed us to work with multiple labs, um, integrate them all behind the scenes, and then deliver a, a, a patient or consumer experience that was just as simple as it possibly could be. And so we started doing this testing and we called it go get tested because everybody said, I need to go get tested. So we said, okay, well, go get tested.com. Um, and it ballooned and we started having states call us. So the state of Texas called us and said, hey, we would like you guys to be doing testing on behalf of the state for you know, wow. significant portions of the state. They told us, you know, your, your geographic area is probably going to be your, you know, the northern part of Texas. Here in, I live in Dallas, we, we call the Dallas-Fort Worth area North Texas. They didn't mean okay. North Texas. They meant the northern part of the state of Texas, which is, you know, almost the size of France. So it was a huge wow. undertaking because it's thousands and thousands of miles of, of, of infrastructure that needed to be developed. Um, and then from there, we had other states ask us to, to do the same kind of thing, all the way to kind of, you know, the state of Kansas. Um, we to this day, continue to operate the entirety of the state of Kansas's COVID testing wow. response capability. So we were able to build that out really, really fast. So we moved from testing into vaccines because late summer last year, um, Operation Warp Speed started to become more real and the conversation started to become more real that we potentially might have vaccines by the end of 2020. And so we said, we have an infrastructure here and um, we've tested, you know, in excess of a million plus people and that the experience that we deliver for them to 
identify testing locations, get their tests, get the result. It's all very, very seamless. And even at that point, we thought it was valuable for people to have a record of their tests and their test results, just sure. in case anyone ever asked them. So we said, we, we need to deliver the equivalent of that for vaccines. And so we started working on a vaccine um, uh, infrastructure as well. We called that Go Get Vax. We delivered that to folks, it enables um, counties, um, providers, except all, all, all the providers uh, and entities that are delivering vaccines to be able to do all the things that are, you know, that need to be easy for, for vaccine administration. So that's the front end, which is making sure that patients know exactly where they can get a vaccine. Um, you know, I think we're almost out of the, the period of time where there are vaccine wait lists, but we had wait lists. We, we were able to stratify um, eligibility based on age, based on um, pre-existing healthcare conditions, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of the backend stuff again, which is you know, managing the supply chain of, of the vaccines, being able to report into um, state vaccine registries uh, in, a, in an automated fashion and make all of those components just as simple as possible. So that was go get vax. And now again, you know, we're, it looks like we're, we're turning another corner in, 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 in the, the life of the pandemic, which is people, people can get vaccines if they want to go and get them. So it's not really a challenge um, today for folks to go and get a vaccine if they want it. Um, but now the question is, okay, I've been fully vaccinated. How does this now reflect back on our um, plans of kind of normalization back in the United States? And this has this has nothing to do, by the way, with what's going out, out outside of the United States. So that's that's maybe a, another angle that we, we can talk about. But um, sure. we, you know, for example, we we enable testing, travel testing in Mexico. So we have oh, hundreds cool. of locations to be able to make sure that people who are traveling to Mexico for business or for for pleasure um, can get the appropriate testing they need to be able to come back home when when their vacation's over. So the same kind of thing applies for vaccines, although it's not just travel related; it's everything else related. It's um, I want to go back to work. I want to go back to school. I uh, want to attend a conference. I want to go to sporting events. I want to. All of the things that we want to be able to get back to normal uh, here in the United States, a lot of these things are potentially going to require um, some kind of proof of vaccination. Although there are some states that have, you know, like here in Texas, Texas says as a state, we will not mandate um, proof of vaccines for anyone. Um, but there are individual private events, private businesses, private whatever, um, that may choose that 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 path. And so one of the things that we found um, with with we surveyed a lot of the folks that we have been delivering services for for the pandemic. And we said when it pertains to some kind of vaccine card or vaccine passport or whatever you want to call it, what's most important to you? Um, you know, 20 percent of folks said, I'm super worried about just losing this thing. It's just that's a piece of cardboard. Um, almost 50% of people said, I want to, I want to be able to show that this is actually real because I mean, if, if I wanted to make one myself and forge it, it's really easy yeah. to do that. And I, I went through the right channels. I want to have something that actually shows that this is, this is a legitimate card. So we built vaxyes.com. 
um, it's, it's, it's intended to be, again, that, that level of making it extremely easy for people to accomplish a health, a healthcare need. Um, and so, you know, people go on, um, we have multiple layers of verification all the way to, we will in some, we're, we're, we're working on expanding this, um, across as many states as we can. Um, but we will on the individual's behalf with their, with their consent, um, uh, get the official record from the vaccine registry of their state and be able to say that it is an official, you know, that's, that's the ultimate level of verification at that point. Yeah. Very um, cool. Yeah. No, it, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's great. Right. And I, you're right. I think a lot of people want that just so they can have it for their records and, and prove it if needed. And, and I think that's, that's very cool of you guys to, to build all this. Um, and you've kind of touched on it throughout the show, but and you just really gave a really good example of it. But you guys are very much a digital first kind of healthcare experience where I think traditionally, not all, but a lot of times, I think when people have interacted with healthcare companies, the technology is either terrible, very old, or doesn't really work that well, or maybe a combination of all those. So, how are you guys? really trying to change that and actually give people a digital first experience, but that's like well-designed, easy to use and, and for, and easy to get access to if I need it just out and about in my day-to-day -day life. Right. Totally. You know, unfortunately in the United States today, the vast majority of healthcare experiences are still terrible. They're terrible. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that, the quality of healthcare in the United States is terrible. It's terrible for some people. It's really great for other people. Um, but the overall experience for the vast majority of Americans, uh, when they are trying to consume healthcare services, are really bad um, for a variety of reasons. You know, there's um, uh, disaggregation of information and data. So I, I, as the individual, have to try and figure out how do I move this data from potentially one provider to another. And there are laws that are being enacted now, um, even from, from the Trump administration into the Biden administration that are trying to make um, uh, access to data easier um, for, for uh, all of the different stakeholders that would have something to do with with an individual's healthcare. Um, the the way that we consume the consumer kind of experience components of healthcare continue to be pretty terrible. If you think about having to, and, and we've you know over the past several years we've we started to solve some of the easiest things. So for example, you know scheduling an appointment in healthcare used to be an ordeal whereas scheduling a anything else at all has become very very easy so you know those kinds of things are becoming um, better in inside of healthcare but there's still a lot more work to do there's a, and and healthcare is a very it's a very unique industry because a it's complex um, but B, it's it's as personal as it gets. You know, if you have a bad experience when you're when you're trying to change the oil on your car, it's not the end of the world. But if you have a bad healthcare experience, it could have major impacts. Sure. Um, and so people are very reluctant uh, as well to kind of test and um, just try out new kinds of things because of the the level of importance that it, that it has. 
The other angle is, and I think I touched upon this earlier, is there is a absolute kind of just landslide of um, digital health companies that are being created almost on a daily basis. Here in the United States, certainly there's a ton in the United States, but also in, in other parts of the world. Um, and the value of these of these capabilities and these new healthcare capabilities is that they are very accessible. Um, they're very focused as well. Many of them are very, very focused on delivering a specific kind of healthcare um, capability for, you know, sometimes we call them disease states. You know, let's say I'm diabetic or I have a family history of cardiovascular disease. These companies are developing capabilities that are very focused on, um, on making the healthcare experience of patients that suffer or may suffer from those kinds of disease states better. So their outcomes are better, um, but they, they also think about it way more than just, okay, you're gonna come and have an office visit. Um, and there, there's certainly a lot of things in healthcare that still require that kind of physical interaction. And I think, you know, many of those may not change over time, but there's certainly a, a ton as well that if I can only see my doctor, let's say even once a month, there's, there's not that many people that have active engagement with their care team um, once a month. Uh, but for some of these, some of these pursuits in these disease states, the, the goal is long-term healthcare engagement. And to be able to do that and, ha and having to ask folks to have to go to a physical visit uh, that often probably is, is not going to happen. So these digital health companies have created tools that allow them to um, deliver more ongoing, more continuous, more accessible care. And so what we're doing is we're, we're, we're kind of bringing all of these things together for the patient so that they don't have to worry about now navigating this massive sea of, um, of digital health first capabilities and having to parse through which one's the right one for me and how does it all work together. So that's what we're, we're working on, making sure that we make it extremely easy for everyone to find and use modern healthcare as a whole uh, and make sure that the, the consistent experience that's delivered for those patients is just the best. It's just you know what, what someone would expect to be experiencing in 2021. Uh, you know, being able to access things on my phone or making sure that the, you know, just the logical things that make sense because of the level of technology that we have in, 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 in 2021 also applies to people's healthcare interactions as well. Sure. And that, that's very challenging because when you're pulling in data from probably a bunch of different systems across the country, obviously some APIs are better than others. Some have obviously more data than others and trying to make that user experience um really good and kind of what you want it to be with potentially bad data or no data is actually like a real challenge that i think a lot of people don't realize that sometimes it's like it, it's like the best you can do with what you're allowed to do or what you're given do you want to talk about maybe some of the challenges around uh kind of putting bringing in a bunch of kind of third-party stuff with your own stuff and then displaying it in a user interface that's, you know, 
good for basically people of all ages, right? You probably have right, kids right. all the way up until, you know, people kind of end of life. Yep, exactly. Uh, no, I completely agree, Kevin, with, with, with all of those kind of challenges that you listed out. So you're, the, the, the point that you just made, which was this is as good as we can do with what we have is completely true. But now we have an opportunity to change what we have so that what we can deliver is not as good as it can be, right? So now we're saying, how good does it, does the ultimate model need to look like? And what work do we need to do behind the scenes to enable all of that? So you're right. Um, data flow is, is a challenge. We're collecting today uh, way more data. You know, I'm not saying companies are, but even though companies are collecting a lot of healthcare information, but individuals themselves are being are, are able to collect data around their individual health at a much higher rate than they were ever able to before. And sure. yet no one is really doing a significant amount with that data. There are you know, some companies that focus on I'm going to give you a digital um, health device that's that that is tailored to your healthcare need, because that ongoing data is very valuable to us. Now, how do you apply that to an entire person, not just to just their diabetes right so yeah. you're right um apis are all over the place um data access is all over the place that's that's kind of a lot of the hard work that we're doing behind the scenes um and it's it's a lot of the work that we did during COVID too and whether that was working with a variety of different kinds of institutions um working with state and local government being able to tee up things the way that it needs to be teed up um and, and the pandemic kind of had a shot clock, you know, everything we had to do had to be done now. Sure. And so that, that changed the way that I think people and teams and companies thought about collaboration as well to make some of these things a reality. So everyone, I hope that coming out of the pandemic that we keep up this level of intensity, if you will, in, in terms of solving problems, um, because a lot of problems got solved during the pandemic that outside of the pandemic would have taken 10 times as long. Um, sure. Well, yeah. and I, I think like the biggest example that I could think of is like Google and Apple basically worked together to build in uh, like tracing into Android and iOS and they talk to each other. Like totally. I get like those are huge rivals, right? right. And they came together. Right. And yeah. I get that maybe there's maybe better examples, but I think every most people have heard of Google and Apple or at least one of them. Right. Sure, sure. Yeah. And that 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 is that was a huge testament around we need to make sure that we have interoperability across platforms because ultimately we're serving one big aim, one big goal, which is to end the pandemic. Now, sure. can we can we use that same line of thinking and say we need to create uh, better infrastructures, more interoperability, better experiences for the individual consumer? all of the consumers, by the way, not just um, portions of the population that could potentially afford it or portions of the population that have um, access. And you know, you, you may have heard or your viewers may have heard of, of phrases, things like social determinants of health, right? What are the things that are potentially not necessarily directly related to health care but are social determinants that impact uh, overall healthcare of specific populations. And a lot of these things are absolutely critical. And you know, adoption of healthcare capabilities 
um, rely on certain kinds of social determinants of health. We hear about vaccine equity or overall pandemic response equity. There's social determinants that, that would impact that too. That's a lot of the work that we actually had to do with states as we were thinking about how to continue to evolve our pandemic response for them. Um, for example, in Kansas, we were worried that certain populations, populations of color, tribal populations who typically have a lower level of trust in public health, we were worried that the experience or the state was worried that their experience interacting with um, pandemic response healthcare uh, projects like testing, for example, would right. not be good and that that would dissuade people later on from wanting to get the vaccine, for example. So we focused oh, on what are the things that we can do to make sure that that, that actually works really, really well. And we've, we have internally, we've kind of coined this phrase of citizen-powered healthcare because those social determinants of health are, are really, really important. And ultimately delivering healthcare is, we, we need to be able to deliver healthcare that's really good for each individual and each family. Um, but it, it is really important for us to also deliver really good healthcare for populations too. And if you just focus on one versus the other, you lose, you lose the game. And I think that's what the pandemic has kind of shown us. So it's a, it's, it's a combination of all of those things. You know, even, even folks who are well insured um, find it difficult to navigate healthcare because of the limitations potentially that their coverage has on them. Is this right. doctor inside of my network or not? Have I met my deductible? And I need to make all this. So those are also challenges that go beyond just, you know, technical challenges. And these are things that we're working on on changing too. Um, and and there are there are a lot of folks that say, why do I need to get my health in the United States specifically? It's different in Canada, but why do I need to get my health insurance through my employer? Why why does it work that way? We understand that there's you know tax advantages and things like that, but can those things change too? And I think they are changing. And so it's 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 a complicated. It's really a complicated. To be able to go back to an individual patient and say, you know, our mission is to make is is to make it super super easy for you and everyone else to find and use good modern healthcare. Um, to make a statement like that and and to make it a reality, there's a lot of other components that have to that have to kind of work together. Um, but there's a lot of movement in the industry right now, and it's it's now is exactly the right time to do it. If there's any any kind of silver lining that comes out of COVID at all, it's that we have momentum to solve these kinds of problems. Interesting. No, I I think that's that's really insightful around that. But I'm curious. You mentioned something a couple of minutes ago. Is how did you make sure that what you were building was that inclusive to you know, maybe people that are a little bit more skeptical of the traditional healthcare system, and maybe they're they're even skeptical of technology or don't know how to use technology to even book an appointment if they want to go. Right. Design is important. The experience is very, very important. Um, building an experience that is easy to use, that is intuitive, that is modern, that is not healthcare modern. It's actually truly modern. There's there's almost uh, two classes. There's good for healthcare, and then there's sure. just you know really great for everyone else. Let's make sure that it's it's at that that standard and that quality. Um, but there are there are um, uh, there's other things too. You know, the platform is in the 
the platforms are in multiple languages. Um, our call centers, when people need support, either um, potentially navigating the technology, there are populations that need support to be able to navigate the technology. There are populations where the access to the technology is not easy and maybe um, this technology first approach is not necessarily the right answer for them. And that's, that's totally okay. Uh, but it's being mindful of all of those components and investing in the time, bringing on the right kind of partners that have, that we can bolt in that make specific components of the experience um, relevant and uh, appropriate for those different kinds of populations. Um, and we and we do that and we make sure that our platform um, acts as the glue to make sure all of these things actually work well together. And so it doesn't seem like a hodgepodge of just random things that were assembled. Patients never know that behind the scenes there's you know, a variety of integrations that are occurring. There's potentially even multiple companies that have come together to make delivery of diabetic care as good as it is for this population. They see our platform um, and, and it, it all kind of just works well together. But there, you know, out of the gate, there is 100% focus on what does the overall experience need to be able to achieve? Not what can we accomplish with what we have today? I really like the way that you, you phrased that. I'm going to use that, Kevin. <laughs> you, sure. <laughs> it just you can clearly see I've built some software in, in healthcare before, and it's been it's been an interesting struggle at times. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's you know I we don't need to get into my horror stories of yeah experiences, but but you know where I'm coming from. Um, yeah, no, it's, that's, not, it's not all ahead, rainbows sir. and butterflies. It's not all rainbows and butterflies yet. But like I said, I think there's there's a lot of momentum right now for some of sure. these significant changes to occur. I think the other the other component is by virtue of you know having to go through months of lockdowns and people being worried about having to leave their houses it's also encouraged individuals to rethink what's the best way for me to access healthcare totally and, and who are those folks that we can trust that can deliver a modern experience that can deliver um, a a very well put together set of healthcare capabilities um, Given that I just went through an experience that was pretty traumatic, but has, has has allowed me to kind of rethink how me or my family or my parents or my friends um, can access really good, really effective, really um, value-driven and accessible healthcare. Sure. No, I, I think that's actually really great. And I'm glad that you guys are taking that stand in that position because the user doesn't care like the technology, if it's old, new, whatever, they just want it to be like accessible for them, easy to use. And when they click that like book now button or like send me my, you know, vaccine card, like they don't care if it has to call 30 different providers and sites, right? Like they just want it to work. And fair enough, because when I'm a user and not on the design side, that's what I expect, right? That's so totally. I, yeah. I think people forget that sometimes, right? And and as we're building tech, whether it's in the healthcare or not, sometimes we need to like actually flip and sit on as a user using the products and services that we're building and say like, if I was trying to use this to do something, is this acceptable to me? Yes yep. or no, yep. right? And I think that that's actually really good advice that you gave there. 
you know, one one interesting thing is, and people talk about this, you you want the insight of people that have not typically been inside of healthcare to help sure navigate some of these things. And there's there's several good examples of that. A lot of the folks on our team are not healthcare folks. So I'll give you a very simple example. We sure. have we have engineers that are um, that come from the travel and hospitality space. So when okay. we were building, I'll give you a very specific example. When we were building our vaccine um, platform, they built in a feature because it, for them it seemed like this is a no-brainer, right? We of course we have to do this, but they built in a feature which. When you get your vaccine and you have that observation period of you know 15 or 20 minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we send the patient a text that says your 15, 20 minute observation period's over? You're you know you're free to go now. Smart. It's a notification that we yeah. would send, and it it no one from the healthcare side thought that that was valuable. But I can't tell you the amount of times that I see individuals that are getting vaccines that go, hey, I got that text message. It's really cool. Thanks for sending that too, right? Yeah. And it, and it took people that came from outside of healthcare to think of functionality like that, that just makes the experience better. Sure. Um, but it's, it, you're right. It's, it's all about that. You're thinking about those, those, those components of the design that just makes sense to the individual. The individual doesn't, doesn't care. Like you said, they don't, they don't, they don't care what goes on behind the scenes. I just want good modern healthcare in it's 2021. It should be here by now. No. Yeah. I 100% agree. It's interesting that you mentioned that. Cause I always think like, and I would put myself in this boat. So I, it's not, I don't mean it mean it's like, I don't want to think about technology when I'm using technology. Like I want something to tell me where I need to be. Right. Or when I can leave and your example of just like, tell me, a, send me a text message 15 minutes after. So I know I can leave. Like I don't even have to think about or watching my watch for 15 minutes then. Right. Like right. stuff like that. It's just like, I just, I can be playing a game or answering email or I don't know, on surfing social media. Well, that 15 minutes is on. And then you get that text and you're just like, walk out. Right. Like it's, I love that thing. And I think that's going to start showing up more and more in modern applications is that like, don't make me think kind of stuff. Yep. And when we when we think about long term health, it's those kinds of small things. It's also a combination of, of larger things, too. But it's it's certainly some of those small things that make the experience better, that make an individual feel like they want to continue to be engaged. And healthcare yeah. is all about engagement, especially long term healthcare. It's all about engagement. You can have the absolute best doctors in the world, the best capabilities, the most expensive care. But if you're not engaged in it as an individual, yeah. you're not going to benefit from all of those things truly. And so how do we give that to everybody? And that's that's our mission. That's what we're working on. No, I, I think that's really great. And we're coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about well health, go get Vax, Vax yes, and any other links you want to mention? Yeah, sure. I mean, the most relevant thing I think for people right now is go to vaxyes.com, digitize your your vaccine card, um, use it for all of kind of your 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 future needs, um, and that's 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 the best place to look. And then stay on the lookout for some really cool, interesting announcements that we're going to be making over the next couple of months. Very cool. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Kevin. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. -bye. Thanks for listening 
please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.